0: Welcome to Careers in Discovery, your window into the world of leaders in pharma and biotech. Brought to you by Singular Talent, making higher and better for organisations involved in drug discovery and R&D. This week on Careers in Discovery, I spoke with Ross Byrne, co-founder and CEO of Cat's Eye. Ross and I talked in depth about the company's journey, including the importance of understanding market demand, instilling an innovation culture, how automation and digitization are impacting the day to day job of the scientist, the thought process behind pivoting a business and people's misconceptions about entrepreneurship. Pleased to be joined this week by Ross Byrne of Cat's Eye. Ross, welcome to the show. Oh, well, welcome back! <laughs> hey. um, the listeners won't know this, but this is take two of this interview. We had some uh, technical difficulties. shall we say first time around? Mm. Entirely my fault, not not yours at all, Ross. External construction works. Yes, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Um, so, Ross, thank you for coming back on. Appreciate your time. And um, I guess to start with, it'd be really good to talk a little bit about Cat's Eye and what the company's about, what you do here, and and where you're at with things. And, yeah, sure. um, so, CatSci, Um. I'm a co-founder of CatSai and the
1: current CEO. Um. So, taking a step back to our inception is, you know, as the name sort of suggests, CatSci, We were set up to to do science, mm-hmm. but applying catalysis to solve some problems. Um. So we spun out of AstraZeneca back in two thousand and ten, um, as a manufacturing facility, just in North Bristol. Mm-hmm. Um, so back in 2010, AstraZeneca um, Global Pharma Company decided to downsize their internal R&D um, and reduce footprints and made many scientists redundant in, in the UK and the R&D facility at Avalon Works is one of their um, sort of sites that we're going to to reduce. So mm. we made redundant, and we decided rather than apply for new jobs, um, we would take some of the know-how and technology from that site and, and set up CatSign set up Cardiff, so we and travelled across the Severn, um, moved about 15 tonnes of equipment from memory <laughs> um, and three big trucks over to um, where we
0: are now, so yeah. um, that was the formation of CatSign. Okay, interesting. And the company now, can you give us a bit of an overview of Yeah, divisions? yeah, sure. So CatSign um, so now is different.
1: We don't do application of catalysis. We're a process R&D company. Mm. Focusing on pharmaceutical development, so um, in pharmaceutical development, there tends to be lots of different verticals that one has to do to develop a drug. Um, So after a drug's discovered, um, you have to, you know, scale up the drug substance and make sure that you can supply materials to the clinic for clinical trials. So what we do for that drug substance part of it is we develop the chemical process, chemical development, Um, we call it houses process, research, and development, and... We can supply materials that can go into non clinical studies, mm-hmm. but we have partners that can provide the drug substance for clinical studies. So, um, very much do sort of problem solving, troubleshooting, um, lots of chemical synthesis and chemical transformations to solve problems.
0: Yeah, and so this is supporting that, that critical translational, early clinical yeah. part of, of pharmaceutical development, essentially. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. Um, so the company's about nine years in? Yeah, now. so nine years in, we're about 45 people yeah. at the moment. Okay.
1: 80% of our um, staff are PhD educated.
0: Yeah, excellent. And I'm really interested to get into the, the story of Cat's Eye and how it's developed. And as you say, it's a very different business now than it was when you launched it nine years ago. Um, before that, I just want to touch on your prior career a little sure. bit. Um, and I guess start with, you know, your your initial interest in science, what, how you got into chemistry and, you know, where that sort of spark of this career in, in science and chemistry came from.
1: Yeah, yeah sure. Um, so going back to to being a, a schoolboy, my, I would say what piqued my curiosity right back from, you know, early teenage years, I would say is, you know, uh, is the world of chemistry mm-hmm. and, and science in general. So I was always curious why things... You know, smell the way they do. Why things are coloured the way they are. So I quite, you know, a sort of curious mind, and then obviously that fundamental learning going through. Was up in Scotland, so we call standard grades, but equivalent to GCSEs. Mm -hmm. You get to, you know, learn more about, know the fundamentals of of science, and you know I had a thirst to learn more. So right from, yeah, an early age, I done free sciences and wanted to pursue a career in science, um, and then university to continue that yeah. education
0: and you went and got your PhD in London yeah
1: yeah. yeah. so undergraduate Strathclyde did um, forensic chemistry interested in forensics this is prior to maybe CSI uh-huh. like people know CSI but <laughs> it was the troubleshooting problem solving part of science that always piqued my interest so went into analytical science quite quite early it was actually a summer job mm. um, and a weekend job when I was 17 so I worked in a factory Analytical testing there, Um, so I was lab trained from quite a young a young age, but then you know looking at what field of chemistry I wanted to to um, to study further, it was certainly on the the analytical side, so troubleshooting problem solving. So I did my undergraduate Strathclyde and then moved to to my PhD at Barts Medical School in London. Yeah. Um, And that was the analytical PhD looking at mass spectrometry actually looking at biomarkers of disease in clinical samples. Mm. So doing this sort of clinical um, bioanalysis. So it was quite interesting. I
0: see, okay. And was it then that you sort of um, decided on this path of, of drug development? and
1: More serendipitous than that. Okay, fair enough. Um,
0: so I specialised in a technique. Um, the technique was called mass spectrometry. Mm.
1: Um, and AstraZeneca were looking for a mass spe- um, spectrometrist to do drug development yeah. so I was just in the right place at the right time yeah. Um, and yeah, I was lucky enough to get a job at AstraZeneca and um, post PhD and that's when I moved to Bristol where works and I was part of um, the drug development um, function within AstraZeneca for nearly four years before CATSide was set up mm-hmm. um, so yeah very much a practicing chemist and then made that leap of faith to becoming a an entrepreneur and say I think not like cancer.
0: Yeah okay, so you spent about four years at AstraZeneca. Obviously one of the biggest pharmaceutical companies in the world. I imagine lots of structure, lots of process, lots of support, lots of resources, yeah. all that kind of thing. Um, and then, Cat eye came about on the back of a uh, site closure. Um, I guess to start with, t- tell me a little bit about how the idea came about and how the company sort of the idea for the company was formed, where that really originated from? Um, again, to be frank, it was
1: driven by a market need, yeah. um, driven by a customer need. I can now, due to uh, the lack of restrictive covenancy that AstraZeneca required the skills of the team that I worked in. So they wanted to continue with the science that we specialised in for a period of time. So it gave eye a sort of launch pad. Um, to start their business. We knew that um, that contract may be terminated after mm-hmm. a period of time, but with the validation of a market needs um, for what we did, we decided then that, you know, it would make sense to to form Cat's Eye and then go out to the market to find, mm-hmm. obviously, more opportunities for the science mm-hmm. that we believe we could um, utilize to add value for our potential customers. Yeah. Interestingly, you know, after three years, we realised that our business model—what we actually started doing, catalysis, applied catalysis—wasn't um, the right business for us. Okay. So we had to evolve it into being the more agnostic process R and D company um, for you know for drug development. Back <coughs> in the early days, we we're agnostic of sector, rather than agnostic of chemistry. Okay. So we're trying to um, create demand for our services or align ourselves to not pharmaceuticals but mm-hmm. you know electronics um, so lots of good catalysis done in making uh, liquid crystals and such like um, agro, you know agrochemicals fine and speciality chemicals yeah. so um, we diversified that way which was a mistake we Okay. Were, we are good at doing drug development um, so we should have just stuck to our guns and that's what we decided so by trial and error we went back to our core strength in, in drug development.
0: Yeah. I guess it's one of the challenges of, of starting a business, right? Because when you when you're in this startup environment and technically you could do anything, sometimes it's difficult yep. to know what the right thing to do is, right? And where the right thing to focus on
1: Yeah, sure. I think, you know, we made we made perhaps a mistake of not really understanding what what our core value proposition is. Right. So I think I'm a big believer in a lot of a lot of people don't really understand entrepreneurship and mm. how to create value in businesses believe that you need to have invention. Mm. So people watch Dragon's Den, a good example, and then they believe you've got to have a good invention to have a viable business and a very sustainable business. It's not really correct. I mean, mm-hmm. you need perhaps good intellectual property and you protect intellectual property and you can leverage that. What we thought is catalysis being as value-adding as it is as our value proposition... But actually, there wasn't the market demand. Right. There's a disconnect. So we realised after two, three years of, you know, getting intelligence from the market, having lots of conversations, trying to um, sell our products. That actually, there's more market opportunities and more market needs in doing good science for drug development. So we had to evolve. So for me, you know, the first step for any. I would say, business venture is to make sure you really understand your core value proposition yeah. and what the market needs are, because lots of time, people invent something and then don't know what to do with it, Right, <laughs> um, and that's the worst situation to be in. You want to find out what the market opportunities are and then innovate or invent something to align to that need. Yeah, so I think okay. that's
0: the That's the big learning curve we went on. And did it... So obviously it's a great situation to be able to start a business with a client, right? And, and particularly one like AstraZeneca where there's, yeah. there's a huge amount of potential there and it gives you, as you say, that launch pad. Did that actually make it more difficult to realise what your proposition was? Because yeah. they wanted that, right? Yeah,
1: exactly. So um, you know, that validated from their perspective mm-hmm. that obviously what we could do is, was of interest to them. Um, but then you obviously the reality is everyone's different. Yeah. Um. and you know market research N should equal one N should be as big a number as possible um, and yeah we didn't we didn't do enough market research so so yeah it's making sure that you do sufficient market research is, is important
0: mm.
1: and nowadays with you know with um, obviously social media and internet and that's easy to do if we don't want to do it yourself then you can employ someone to do it on your behalf yeah so it can become a bit more independent and unbiased. Um one thing, if a market does have a need, then they're looking for uh they're looking for people to solve their problems and to meet that need. So they're more than happy to have conversations about how they think someone could potentially, you know, plug that gap between their needs and an opportunity.
0: Yeah, I think we saw that early on as well and I think one of the things Mm -hmm. I also saw was that um, you will get so far by asking people, well, what would you like, or what, what, how would you ad- identify this problem to solve, or how would you, what would you like to see from suppliers? But actually, you've got to also make that proposition for them, right, and then get their opinion on it, rather than just. It's the old Henry Ford thing, isn't it? If you ask what, if I asked people what they wanted, they would have said faster horses. <laughs> yeah, exactly,
1: exactly. Yeah. Um, so we've got to understand it. And something we do yeah. now, and we are doing some strategic evaluation, is. You know, we do a thing called a business model canvas, which is mm. by strategizer, and we drill down into you know the core, you know sort of value proposition really, what you could potentially uh, deliver to the marketplace, which is very much predicated on, you know what are the, um, the pains and gains that a customer mm. wants. Yeah. yeah. And then hopefully going through that process, you wouldn't just design a faster horse; they'd come up with the, mm-hmm. you know, obviously the automobile. Um, but but yeah, you you've got to you have got to really do the thinking. I think people under you know sort of underestimate the you know the need to clear your head to think. Mm-hmm. It's a very fast paced environment we're working nowadays across all sectors. Mm-hmm. But taking a step back and actually having time to you know to think and do some ideation is important.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So taking a step back to those very early days, so you've you've come out of AstraZeneca, you've you've got your lorries across the bridge and, and brought the equipment over. Um, how many of you was there then? Yeah, it's the not, um, there's only five of us. Five of you, okay. Um, so
1: five scientists as well. <laughs> no one from the commercial <laughs> or even, I would say, yeah, marketing, uh, even a leadership perspective. None right. of us have done any businesses before, so we're completely, you know, inexperienced across many of the, the core expertise required to run a business <laughs> but um, there was lots of what I call sweat equity and you know, learning from mistakes but
0: um, yes. where we are now. yeah but what do you tell me tell us a bit about those early days what do you remember about it how you know what were the biggest differences between I mean there must have been so many stepping out of somewhere like AstraZeneca into that yeah yeah. so you've got the shackles off I
1: suppose yeah you know, thing about large organizations and you know, it's not just companies like AstraZeneca, but because of the size of them, they are very structured, mm-hmm. as, you, as you alluded to. And, you know, you are potentially, you know, ineffective and inefficient in the way to operate because you have to attend more bureaucratic type internal mm-hmm. meetings. You know, they're very, very process driven. Um, obviously, when you are setting up on your own, um you know, they say you don't really have a structure. Um, you know. But the, the one biggest difference I always explain to someone, um, is when you come outside of an organization, it doesn't matter what you do, on a Monday morning, somebody will give you work.
0: Right. Yeah? Yeah.
1: You know, you're always going to from your from your manager or from you know, a peer be given work to do that week. Obviously, when you're on your own at the start, um that's not the case. Yeah. So we had to get ourselves ready. To, to service the contract that we were due to be given. Mm-hmm. Um, so you have to you know motivate yourself to make that happen. But actually, I love change, I love learning new things. So making that you know, a leap of faith to becoming a business owner and a co-founder of a business, um, I found that very motivating because I like the challenge to learn new things. Right. So from the start it was very much upskilling myself in finance, upskilling myself in you know, commercial skills, leadership skills so on and so forth so for me it was very yeah it was a very sort of high paced and um you know sort of motivating environment
0: yeah understood and and in terms of how you the five of you worked through that early part of it where Mm -hmm. as you said you know it was five scientists no leadership experience no business experience or commercial experience really how did you Cause there's a lot of things you need to do outside of the science of course how did you divide that up how did you decide who was going to do what how did that all evolve um you know it was a bit of yeah an
1: unstructured mess to be <laughs> at first but then I think you, you learn what you have to do yeah you know we we, we got some advice from external consultants and what had to be you know what had to be done so quite quickly I took on the role of being the general manager of the business to learn the business side right um so, mentioned before, my background is more analytical chemistry, and because we were, um, we were aligning ourselves to do catalysis um, services, you know, the catalytic experts and the synthetic chemists on paper should be busier, right? Um, than the analytical chemist as was well myself. So we made the sort of um, calculation that you know I would have more headroom to do the more business side. So that would just sort of fell out mm. um, of my own sort of personal motivators mm-hmm. as well. I've always been interested in business. Right. So um, yeah, you know, I was put myself forward to be to be the person to lead that. One mm. of my colleagues put himself forward, Simon um, as is our wow. commercial lead. Okay. Um so we had, you know, fifteen years of experience um of, of doing drug development and postdoctoral studies. And then pharmaceuticals, the North American U.S. market predominantly is still the you know the sort of the drop for innovation. Mm. And he spent two years um, at Stanford in the U.S., so he knew the landscape in the U.S. better than anybody else. So it's a good fit for him to to take on that
0: responsibility. From yeah, the start. understood. So stepping into that GM role, so I guess up to that point, you know, you you had done your PhD, which you know I know that's fairly self-directed you have to decide the priorities decide what you're going to do manage your workload that kind of stuff so you've got to take some responsibility there you've you've gone into a company for four years roughly uh, where you will have learned more stuff but I imagine mostly technical skills and and Mm -hmm. project leadership type skills so to then step into that role of general manager that's that's very different yeah so you talked about and learning what you needed to do and upskilling yourself. What, how did you do that? How did you decide what to learn? Where did you go? Who did you talk to? How did that all work? Yeah. <laughs> um, literally started with Dummies Gates.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I read a book, Dummies Guide to Accounting. Um, uh-huh. It was my first book. Put myself through um, some bookkeeping courses actually. So I mm-hmm. got myself Sage 50, you know, um, trained up. Okay. So I did that. So again, just to understand the, the basics of um of bookkeeping so i did the bookkeeping for the business yeah for the first few months before i found out i was inept at that (laughs) 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 based on somebody else to do it yeah um but then yeah went on a journey of right so what does one have to do from the the rest of the business skill so i had you know we had some consultants acting like mentors um we engaged our now chairman um rod howe with 40 years of Mm. you know sort of chemical manufacturing and you know management experience, so right. general manager himself. Yeah. Um. You know many businesses for many years, so, um. Really, just learn off him. So I'd always say, you know, if you're new to business, you're new to doing something. There's plenty of people like Rod out there. Mm-hmm. Um. You know, business mentors that can help you to help yourself.
0: Yeah. And put you in the right path. Yeah, they're often quite keen to help as well. Yeah, right? they're too. quite keen to give back and yeah, get exactly. involved in stuff. Yeah,
1: exactly. Exactly.
0: You know I have more.
1: Than um, happy to help to help people on that journey as well. I think, you know, what the country needs is to encourage entrepreneurship. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not done at school. It's actually probably putting more of the shackles on at school that you know you have to conform, you have to comply. Well, actually, entrepreneurship is more about making a change. Mm. So you want to actually encourage people to challenge the status quo, um, and to take risks, um, calculate the risk obviously. You you, know, you don't want to um, take risks that are not well thought out yeah but yeah that's a skill you know you want to be able to pass on that learning process so when i try and evaluate what decisions we should make strategically or tactically is right always take a step back think about it from as many different perspectives as possible um we'll look at upside downside and then you can make hopefully the best informed decision Mm. You know, if we spoke to me nine years ago, I was just probably going gut feel and just, you know, <laughs> <laughs> that is the best way forward. And you can, you know, the thing of net present values and, you know, these sorts of tools that one can use to calculate, mm. you know, what one should be doing. And I think, you know, that's a skill that, you know, successful businessmen use, the processes, and it's hard to, to teach that from a book. Yeah. Um, there's so much out there that, you know, is value adding but maybe not as you know well structured as you know something that's actually used day to day so so yeah i think tapping into you know a mentor or some sort of um, network where proven businessmen have succeeded is, or business women have succeeded um is
0: is definitely mm. going to be value adding you touched on something there and we talked about this a little bit before we started recording with about um i suppose the entrepreneurial mindset and um Breaking out of that traditional mindset where you're told what to do or you conform to what's been done, or, you know, and, and um, it I think it's one of the things that's most challenging for people because you don't get taught it in school, as you say, and it's actually quite alien to what you get taught in school, and in some ways, yeah, no. very um, uh, very abrasive to what to the way you get brought up a lot of the time as, as kids. Uh, so, were there are there things that you remember as sort of stages in your development of that or, or things that happened that really helped you to break out of those shackles, as you say? Um, yeah, I think, you know, back to my
1: PhD, probably my supervisor, mm. Professor Perrott. it's always one that would challenge scientifically the status quo. And I think a lot of times, you know, science is built on the shoulder of, of giants, which is great. But people tend to go on a very, you know, specific vector, not sometimes you know to go back and actually think of it in a different in a different way may get you to you know um, the you know the best answer quicker um, so always yeah always trying to think of improvements so for myself I'm always you know what 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 can be done better you know um, I've, yeah I've always been someone who's notorious for Trying to cut corners and stuff like that. <laughs> uh, maybe it's just I'm kind of lazy. Uh, to try and get there as you know as, uh, as quickly or as efficiently as possible. Yeah. But I think you know that's the sort of entrepreneurial mindset. Is, you know, you, you as I said before, you don't need to have you know this sort of um, brilliant invention. You know, you just have to think of a, a problem, and provide a solution in a slightly different way. Mm. You know, if you can actually um, get engagement because you're making it easier for somebody else to. You know to make a choice or to do something then that will be the path they'll follow and i think now with the you know the connectivity of digital platforms and the connectivity of you know social media um you can very quickly test your business model mm. yeah because you can connect so many people so quickly and, and i think um yeah just yeah just try and think openly yeah, yeah? and it was important and um, you know it used to be and it's back to industrial revolution that you know you only progress in careers when you know you are earned your stripes right yeah? yeah and you get glass ceilings and potentially only get promoted when someone else you know gets promoted or the mm-hmm. aside or you know and move out the company for whatever reason um, and that doesn't happen in modern companies anymore yeah you know it's People, especially cats, that we try and empower people to, you know, to do the job that, that, that they can do, and you know, they don't get micromanaged. Mm-hmm. They're responsible and accountable for the work that they do, and yes, we have to train them up to do it, but then it's up to themselves to, you know, to, um, to do that role, and we do what we can to support and develop them. Yeah. So yeah, it's more about, um, you know, having no hierarchy, mm-hmm. and <laughs> well, little hierarchy as possible. Um, just yeah. So. So it's not constraining.
0: Yes, so you're allowing the people who are the best people at that job because they do it every day to make decisions about how they do. Yeah, how to do
1: a job, and I think in in many scientific larger organisations of you know a certain age and and size. Scientifically, it's been quite difficult to, to, to get advancement in your career. Mm. You get glass ceilings, so people tend to. Know, go into becoming managers or maybe move to to roles that are higher higher levels of compensation um but you know sometimes you're losing the best scientists to alternative careers because right. of that progression and they may or may not be the best managers mm-hmm. many times they're not mm-hmm. because they've trained for so many years to be a great scientist and i think you know that's something that you know we're we making sure in cat's eye that we don't have is any glass ceilings for scientists we want our scientists to choose to to do science for the rest of their career to be able to to do that and we reward them to be the best they can be so as a company as a service company we very much want to focus on solving problems in quality Mm. so why not try and encourage and support our scientists to be the best scientists they can because with that support they can solve the
0: more challenging problems yeah it's interesting actually because we speak to a lot of scientists in the recruitment part of our business obviously and um one of the common not complaints but one of the common things that we hear from people who are looking to move jobs is that they are scientists they love the science but they feel that they need to do something else to progress their career yeah so there's, not, there's often not a real desire to go and do that other thing, whether it's managing people or managing projects or whatever mm. it might be. It's that they feel they need to do it to tick that box so they can yeah. move forward. And actually taking that away, letting them focus on the science, but develop and progress yeah. their career, that, that must be good for you. And I think, you know, for many companies,
1: they don't have what I would call a true innovation culture. Mm. So, you know, if you want for your company to develop scientifically or technology wise then you want to instill an innovation culture so your scientists to keep them motivated and keep them engaged is to create some innovative advancements whether it be on your core business model or it could be something that is extra and ancillary to what you're trying to achieve yeah and that way you know um creating a sort of proper r&d engine um hopefully over a period of time that will get a return on investment mm-hmm. so you can reinvest from the profits made by the innovation into developing and rewarding the scientists. So I think many companies just don't have that process. And that's yeah. something that we're looking to have in Eye is, you know, we can afford to pay people more because of the value they're creating for for cat's eye as a business.
0: Yeah. I suppose if each person is more effective, you don't necessarily need quite as many people, so you can then Yeah
1: exactly. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, you know, we're looking at bringing our company into the 21st century with a digital workforce as well, you know, so try and automate processes Mm -hmm. so that, you know, our colleagues can focus on where they use the the sort of innovative, inventive parts of the brain rather than just doing routine tasks that can be done by, you know, by by bots and by, you know, um, by software.
0: So that's an interesting point. So something that we touched on in some of the previous podcasts is how the role of the scientist is changing with automation and yeah. things like machine learning and things like that. So can you expand on that a little bit and, and what that looks like from your point of view, from Cat's point of view? and
1: Yeah, so we'll always look at opportunities for using automation um, to just improve efficiency and effectiveness of what we do. So we're not developing AI or machine learning mm. Know, to help us scientifically, apart from some off-the-shelf solutions such as, um, you know, software that can help with retrosynthesis. Right. Um, you know, we, we may partner companies that have software that can help with, um, you know, doing this sort of drug discovery part mm-hmm. of it, but it's not core to our business. But yeah, where we would look to do is, you know, where we're paper burden heavy, is to automate that, so more on the business side. Um, electronic lab notebooks. Um, so we can interface with our instruments more efficiently and effectively. So again, to stop any need for transcription. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, visualizing data. Um, you know, it's, you know, you can use Python and other softwares to, to make that visualization interpretation a bit better. So we got some good internal expertise and in, you know, what we can do. You know, just to to automate most of the backend processing side. Right. So it enables our scientists to focus more on the sort of practical and innovative side of, of, of doing their jobs and the support functions, you know, again on the, um, the more sort of interpersonal, you know, um, face-to-face type activities.
0: Yeah. So I suppose, you know, a lot of the time people become scientists because they're good at solving problems, right? So you're maximising the amount of time they're actually spending on solving those problems, coming up with new approaches. Yeah taking on those challenges. Yeah,
1: indeed, indeed. Um, so, you know, there's what's banding about now about obviously Industry 4.0, um, this internet of things, you know, being able to to work more digitally, digital business models, digital platforms, you know, and we're really trying to think where can we add value to drug development in that space? Um, so we've got some great internal ideas on how we can try and help expedite drug development by being a bit more digital mm-hmm. and obviously pharmaceutical development because it's highly regulated is probably one of the slower moving industries with regards to um adoption of new technology right um i think like blockchain and, and um way techniques to or technologies to blockchain will be adopted quite quickly because of you know supply chain risks and such mm-hmm. like in counterfeit products but actually ways of working. Um, you know, I think there will be lots of opportunities to, to bring in, you know, some some good digital technology in the future. Yeah,
0: interesting. So we talked about obviously that first three years of, of Cat's eye and, and it was a catalysis company for that first three years, and then you got to a point where you realised, okay, this isn't quite what we need to be, we need to rethink this. At that point, were you still primarily working with AstraZeneca did you have a lot of other clients where was the business at when you made that change um, so made it from the
1: bottom of a trough where we didn't <laughs> no, we didn't we didn't get much market penetration right and catalysis but we, 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 we did lots of projects with new customers I mean I'm guessing now but you know probably 10 uh, nine or ten a little bit about um, but the repeat business wasn't there right um, so we knew that we weren't quite resonating or adding enough value for them to come back and want more. So you have to think well why why is that? Um, you know, maybe maybe, you know, we're not better than the you know, the marketplace. Sure. Or internal resources. You know like that you know that was, you know, a real, you know, sort of conclusion. Okay, so we think what what are we really good at with the skills and expertise that we have? Um and obviously points back to the obvious that we were in a drug development part of AstraZeneca, We're good at drug development, let's go and do what we're good at mm-hmm, <laughs> rather <yeah. laughs> than um, you know, focus. And I think, you know, a lot of people when they go into business, you know, suggested that focus on a micro niche and do that very well, you know, and just try and get market penetration there. but well, we did that obviously with catalysis, right? But we found it wasn't the right micro niche. Yeah, yeah. So we went into a new a new niche, not quite micro, but what we do is actually in drug development a micro niche. Um it's a very distinct vertical of um drug development. So so yeah. You know, very much would recommend that one has to just focus rather than being too um unfocused, you know, too disparate in what one needs to to do. Mm. Do one thing well and then, you know. Try and find as many customers that um, you can sell that service to, and we're very lucky that we are in a shifting marketplace in drug development, where the rise of you know the biotech industry um, worldwide, so that's new innovative companies that mm. you know a very limited number of employees, limited resources, and they require the services of Cat Eye and you know our you know sort of rivals in, in the marketplace um so it really drives you know that sort of demand for our services
0: yeah and it sounds like given what we talked about again before we started recording but with where the business is at and you know the the growth that you're seeing and the growth that you've got planned that that decision has been validated over the last six years
1: yeah yeah so we're a high growth company growing up you now was about 50 percent year on year and it looks like we'll continue that you know as, as far as i can see before the fog starts um so, yeah, I think, you know, for us, it's all about containing that rate of growth. Mm-hmm. Um, the market pool's there. The market itself doing about 10% year on year um, with regards to outsourcing services to, you know, the contract organisations like CatSci. You know, what we need to think about is, right, we do process R&D now. When will that plateau? Mm-hmm. Um, when will that plateau, you know, when we get to mm-hmm. a, a certain, you know, market size? What can we do by you know, understanding the market better to bring on new services and capabilities right. that are in the needs of our customers and potential new customers. So that's what we're doing at the moment. We have a strategy advisory board actually meeting on on Thursday where we can think about the bigger picture. Right? We're great at what we're doing P R and D, so process R and D, but how do we go across that drug development um you know sort of service
0: space by adding more capabilities? Mm. Yeah, okay um so that's that's remaining focused though on the customer base right so you keep maintaining that niche but then expanding within that
1: yeah so for me you know you can typically expand on two axes x and y x being customers y being services to the same customer or customer base so we're very much going on the the y axis at Mm -hmm. the moment maybe in the future we'll go x i think if you try and get a new customer on a new service that's proper leap of faith diversification and sometimes that might be the right the right decision to make um but yeah i think cat's Eye is a drug development company and um, so we'll focus on pharma for now mm-hmm. but it may be in the future that we decide actually because we do great science and we solve great problems um we can apply that to other industries and yeah. sectors
0: and i suppose those big leaps they're i mean they're pretty rare right it's not every day you come up with the ipod and things like that right so taking those small steps you know if you look back in 10 years that will end up in quite a distance from where you started but those small steps allow you to control yeah, the yes. risk a little
1: bit the yeah, indeed did well it's just um yeah control and risk but also ensuring that we uh sustain that growth mm-hmm. that's for us important we have a sort of longer term vision as a company you know to try and you know create a sustain 500 jobs you know long way to go we went from 5 to 50 hopefully by the end of this year we'll be 50 so that's one order of magnitude go from you know 50 to 500 is the next challenge yeah And I think you know, to do that in what we do at the moment, process R and D is probably not feasible. You know, Um, we need to need to add on more capabilities. So, what else can we do Mm. with the great customers that we have um, to,
0: you know, add more value to their needs? Yeah, exciting stuff. Yeah, good stuff. Good stuff. So, I guess to finish off, one of the purposes of the podcast really is to. I suppose, provide a bit of advice or provide a bit of insight to people who are early in their career. So I'm thinking probably there are two, two types of people who might be uh, interested in this. One might be the person who's a scientist who is thinking about starting a business. Yeah. And the other may just be a a scientist, a chemist starting out in their career who, you know, wants to develop their career. You've mentioned some things around sort of the things you'd recommend to entrepreneurs and things like that. But if there are a couple of key pieces of advice or things that you wish you'd known at the beginning that you, you could share? What would those three words?
1: Um, so, yeah, I think, you know, if, if you're a scientist looking to, to start a business, make sure that whatever business you're starting, service, product, um, or otherwise, you know, there is a true market need. Mm-hmm. You know, I think um, you have to, you know, to, to gather that information um, I mean, it's a global marketplace, so you can very quickly take a product or service global. Yeah. We're predominantly um, based, customer based in the US. Um, so, so yeah, I would say try and gather information globally. Um, so that's, that's the first thing. And then, if you've got a proven, you know, sort of, um, value proposition aligned to a need. Is the, the biggest thing is just be tenacious and resilient. Mm. You know, it's, difficult to get traction Um, so you have to make sure you you know you're tenacious to get that traction Um, and don't ask don't yeah always ask um, for help there's loads of business mentors out there there's loads of people looking to you know to help for free Um, and at the moment there's lots of capital around so being able to raise finance um, to be able to help you on your endeavours should be um, Easier than it was ten years ago. Yeah. Um, so again, you know, there's there's lots of contacts out there for one to to be able to, to leverage there um, so yeah it's these things.
0: Yeah. Excellent. Yeah. Thank you very much, Ross. Okay. Thanks for joining us on Careers in Discovery, and don't forget to subscribe for more insight into the world of drug discovery and R and D. Do take a look at our sponsors, Singular Talent. their mission to make herring better for companies and individuals in drug discovery and r&d you can find them at www.singulartalent.io see you next time